So last Thursday, I joined a different congregation. I wasn't a minister or a leader. I was just a congregant. And this congregation didn't call itself a congregation, but I joined for a moment this timeless justice-seeking body that forms and reforms, that has formed and reformed throughout time, that has been responding and listening to the call of love. This body of people, this holy assembly came together in the street at 34th in Nicolette, right by the Burger King, as we joined striking fast food workers to demand a living wage. And then this congregation, this body of people, marched to respond to the racial violence that is once again being revealed and exposed in our country. This living congregation I was with, people of all ages, genders, races, and identities, walked south down Nicolette and then across 35th Street. As we walked... We called out the names of Michael Brown, the 18-year-old unarmed black man shot to death in August in Ferguson, Missouri. Called out the name of Trayvon Martin, an unarmed black youth shot and killed in Sanford, Florida. We called out the name of Tamir Rice, a 12-year-old unarmed black boy shot to death in Cleveland. We called out the name of Eric Garner and many others. If you've been following the news or tuned in on social media, you know, you know that Eric Garner was the unarmed 43-year-old black man put in a chokehold and ultimately killed by a New York police officer. The police suspected him of selling loose cigarettes. It's on video. You can watch it, and it's clear to me that Eric Garner is not a threat. And the people I was with on Thursday in this congregation that formed, they were not a threat either. Before we marched, the organizers asked everyone to be smart, to be safe, and to not provoke the police. And the police, to their credit, both the Minneapolis Police Department and the Highway Patrol, were thoughtful in their handling of the event, keeping us and the public safe. This congregation walked down the ramp onto I-35, and lay down on the highway for four and a half minutes, symbolizing the four and a half hours that Michael Brown's body lay in the street in August in Ferguson after he'd been shot multiple times by a police officer. This march was a memorial service and a cry for change. Lying on the cold concrete there, we chanted, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Black lives matter. And many of you have asked, and I've seen it on social media, well, why, why, aren't, we saying, why aren't we saying all lives matter? Don't all lives matter? And of course they do. That's at the heart of my faith, that every single life matters, that every person is a child of God, belongs in this world, belongs and should be loved and cared for. But given this country's particular and ongoing relationship with black bodies, it's black lives that are under attack, threatened and dehumanized in subtle and not so subtle ways. One of the women who coined this phrase, black lives matter, said this, when we start to say all lives matter, we start to represent this post-racial narrative that quite frankly isn't true. Of course all lives matter, but we also have to think about what's embedded in our culture 
And what's embedded in our culture is a real fear of black folks and black lives. And so we did a die-in on the highway, stopping business as usual, asking for racial justice in our community and in the country. Lying down, we chanted, I can't breathe, 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 I can't breathe. And if you don't know, those were Eric Garner's last words. Eric Garner was 43 years old. He was married. He was a father of six. He was a human being. His last words in a stranglehold were, I can't breathe. Right now, friends, none of us should be able to breathe. We are suffocating under a system of racial violence against people of color. And our police and court systems, the rules and structures there are some of the primary vehicles that carry out this violence. We know that racism today is not as overt as a cross burning in someone's front yard, but it is real and present. It is in the air around us. And we know that no one is born a racist or born with racial prejudice. We notice difference. Of course we do. That's part of being human. But what matters is the meaning we assign to those differences. We know from scientific studies that the vast majority of people have racial prejudices that they are not consciously aware of and that we act out our racial biases no matter how open-minded we think we are. It's partly because this is how our brain has evolved. We throw things into categories, good or bad, dangerous or safe. Much of the work, our work, is to recognize that we carry these biases, that we've assigned meaning to things that may not be true, and then to begin to change. Let me be clear with you this morning. I'm not calling every police officer racist. I don't believe that. But we live in a system, in a country, that has structures and systems and institutions and practices and laws that deeply reflect these racial biases that deny resources and even life to people of color. The book is just one of many. The new Jim Crow outlines this in great detail. So this body of marchers, this congregation on I-35 was saying enough is enough. We were marching for black lives, for dignity, for a future different than the one we live in right now. The march contained transgender bodies, gay bodies, straight bodies, white bodies, black bodies, brown bodies, young bodies, baby bodies, all bodies, all bodies crying out for justice and change. Staff and some members of this church were there. The group we were with, that I was with, got off on the Lake Street exit, but hundreds continued on down to City Hall to ask for police accountability, to ask city council members to support funding for the two positions in the mayor's proposed Office of Equitable Outcomes, an office meant to address racial disparities in our city. Council members, as you may know, are in the final stages of revising the budget. There's a public hearing, the last public hearing this Wednesday, December 10th, and then the council will vote. There's a gathering at City Hall at 6 p.m. Many will be there. I hope you will be there.
I also want to say this morning, I know not all of you agree with the shutdown of the highway. I-35 being closed was an inconvenience for some, and that was the point. It was meant to make people wake up and pay attention. An hour of inconvenience in traffic is small compared to regular and ongoing violence that is perpetuated on black bodies and especially black transgender bodies on a regular basis. So call it what you will, but there is a movement happening around this country. Business as usual cannot continue. And I want to be frank with you, church, I don't assume for a minute that all of you are with me on this. All right? In fact, I suspect that some of you disagree with me. And at a minimum, a number of you have questions about all of this. On Friday, when I was writing my sermon in this coffee shop I go to, it's my sermon writing coffee shop, there were a lot of conversations around me about race, about Eric Garner, about Michael Brown, about guns, about police brutality, about the militarization of police. All this conversation was swirling around me, and I overheard these two guys talking next to me. One said, well, the grand juries in both cases looked at all the evidence and found the police officer not guilty. So I don't understand these protesters, really. It's just these two guys, Michael Brown and Eric Garner, right? Everyone's acting like it's this much bigger problem around race, and they're just making this whole thing about race. All right, talk to me if you want to talk to me here. So I started to lean over to their table to say something, and it wasn't going to be like, hey, how's your latte? <laughs> I started to lean over their table. I could feel like my pulse kind of ratcheting up. I was going to say something to them. And then, friends, what happened is I realized probably about three years ago, I might have said something similar to what those guys were saying. In fact, I'm going to be straight with you, church. In fact, when Trayvon Martin was killed just a couple of years ago, carrying Skittles and an iced tea, because he looked suspicious and threatening. I didn't really have much to say. I know I said something, but honestly, three years ago, I could have been one of those guys in the coffee shop asking those questions. As open-minded and as educated as I think I am, I'm coming to understand I've been badly miseducated in our country. This country I live in, its history, its laws, it's policing and targeting of black bodies and bodies of color. There is still a huge gap in my understanding of how white people and people of color experience this country that we live in. What's true is that I have lived in a white world with a white worldview for all of my life. A white world which says, you don't just get choked to death by a police officer. You must have done something to deserve that. Talk to me. Mm. Amen. A white world that says if Eric Gardner weren't so heavy or didn't have asthma, he wouldn't have died. A white world that says Michael Brown was a demon, an it, a Hulk, Hogan, a thug. If he'd been staying out of trouble, that wouldn't have happened. A white worldview that blames the victim. 
A white worldview that believes black bodies are powerful, less able to feel pain, less human. A white worldview that says black bodies can be used for entertaining us on the football field, but when those same black bodies, five St. Louis Ram players last week who put their hands up in the don't shoot, hands up, don't shoot pose in solidarity with the protesters in Ferguson and around the country, when five black bodies stop entertaining us on the football field and say we're human, we have feelings, we're political, that was my brother or cousin, I could imagine Michael Brown as part of my family. When they do that, we say, oh, that is out of line. We say that's out of line. Talk to me, church, that is not out of line. When Muhammad Ali starts talking politics and about war and we say get back in the ring, Don't talk about that stuff. You have a purpose. It's to entertain us, to make us money. When black bodies are for entertainment alone, that is a white worldview unfolding in front of us. So, black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. matter. And I knew when I heard those guys and was going to lean in and say something, I've been living in this white worldview for a long time, and it's only recently I've started seeing and asking questions and learning. I know that that white worldview says that black men are dangerous. What's, what's in your hand? Is that a gun? Is that a knife? The, black, the, the white worldview says we have to pay attention to what black men are carrying. They're less than human. So my own journey of awakening, my own journey of awakening, of beginning to see those things in my head. What I just shared with you, that's my stuff, my white world view, that journey of being called awake, of called by God, called by love, by the world. My own journey of awakening with curiosity and compassion to the stories that whiteness tells, to the ways that whiteness protects itself and works in the world, to understanding my own whiteness Well, my journey made me think of you all. It made me think of you in the pews and your questions, which might be the very same questions as those folks in the coffee shop, which not too long ago were my questions. Questions like, why do we keep talking about this? Why are we making such a big deal about race? And the answer, simply, is because people are dying. People are dying. Black people are dying. It's not isolated. It's not a pattern. Or sorry, it is a pattern. It's not isolated. It's a pattern. It's a historic 400-year-old pattern. It's a historic 400-year-old pattern, church. We know this when we wake up. When lynching was common, there would be a notice in the paper or in the community saying a black man or woman or child had died at the hands of persons unknown. The community knew who had done it, but no one was accountable. There was no justice. Some version of this is what is happening today. And as a white person, it can be hard to see this. It's like those images you stare at. You know those images, just a bunch of different colors. There's a 3D image there behind it, and you're looking at it, and you're looking at it, and you're looking at it, and you're like, I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see it. <laughs> and then something clicks. Your, your perspective, your heart, your vision changes, and all of a sudden you see the ocean and the dolphins and the starfish and the fish, and you're like, that's amazing. 
There's a whole other world. Right? I couldn't sit now. I'd see it. No, look, it's right here. What's wrong with you? Can't you see this world? It's right there. Black people are dying and still being targeted. It is a pattern. I know this because of the racial justice trainings we've done here at church and because I have been listening to people with different life experiences than my own, because I've been listening deeply to non-white voices. And that practice, that practice of listening to non-white voices helps us see the other world. As white activist Tim Wise says, the inability of white people to hear black reality, the inability of white people to hear black reality, to not even know that there is one and that it differs from our own, makes it nearly impossible to move forward. So why do we keep talking about this? Because if we are going to live in integrity and alignment with our faith, our faith which proclaims that every child, every person is beloved by God, by the universe, by the cosmos, if we are going to live with integrity and alignment as people in faith and say everyone is worthy of love and justice and respect, if we are going to call ourselves Unitarian Universalists and have that mean anything, then we have to speak. Amen. And we have to speak. We have to talk like you're talking. We have to speak to one another and talk to one another. White silence equals consent with what's happening in our country in regards to racial justice. And frankly, when our brothers and sisters can't breathe, when black lives and lives of color are diminished and dismissed and denigrated and exploited and invisible, we are spiritually and morally compelled to speak. And we can speak much more clearly when we first slow down to learn and to listen and to take in other voices and experiences to question the assumptions in our head. Because what's happening right now, friends, it's not a black problem or a people of color problem. It's a white problem. Amen. It is a white problem. And let me tell you, you can talk to me. You can say amen. Let me tell you what I mean. I am not saying that being a person, a racialized white person is bad. I will never say that. It's a white problem, not because being a white person is bad, but because when white people are silent, or disbelieving, or scared, or don't want to rock the boat, or are unsure about stopping business as usual, then we're complicit in people of color dying. Then we're complicit. White folks need to show up, speak up, and wake up. Wednesday night at 6 p.m. at City Hall, you can lift your voices in support of the Office of Equitable Outcomes. I will be there. I hope many of you will be there. There are going to be actions and events in these coming weeks where we can show up, where white people of faith have to show up because white silence and white inaction equals consent. And we can't be quiet. We can't be quiet when our brothers and sisters cannot breathe. So I'm asking you, 
whatever it is you're feeling right now, and I know we're a mostly white congregation and our culture is mostly to be kind of quiet and inward suppressing of your emotions, but whatever you're feeling right now, you need to talk to your friends and your people at work and your colleagues. You need to have these conversations. You need to show up, not to lead, not to take over, but to be present, to be witness, to let your faith live in your life because business as usual is killing black and brown bodies. If we are going to live our faith with any kind of integrity and alignment, friends, we have to show up. We have to be uncomfortable. We have to trust that the Spirit moves in that discomfort, and we cannot be silent. It is not an option when our brothers and sisters cannot breathe. Amen. 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 Amen.